0: Welcome to
1: the Change Lab, a podcast for people who are all about personal development, leaning into their potential, and becoming their best self. Just, you know, starting next Monday. I'm your host, Dr. Sasha Heinz, and oh, shit. it's Monday. right. Welcome back to the Change Lab. So this made me laugh. My mom, a very cute mom, she listened to the trailer. I don't think that she thought it was actually public yet, but anyhow, she listened to the trailer that I sent her and she called to sweetly tell me that she thought it was fabulous. Thank you, mom. It's very kind of you. And she also called to raise some questions about the music. (laughs) She was just like, I just wanted to make sure that someone else, you know, didn't choose that for you. I mean, did did you choose that? It just doesn't sound like you. <laughs> so I think we can all agree that that was mom code for, you know, she no likey. <laughs> and she strongly wanted to encourage me to uh, change my music. I mean, she's so cute. So anyhow, but I was thinking like, oh, well, if my beloved mother is not alone <laughs> in her thoughts and feelings about the music... I hate to disappoint you, but the changelab music is not going to be changed. It's it's not changing. The whole vibe of the cover art and the music was inspired by Oingo Boingo's theme song for Weird Science. I mean, the, the whole sort of 80s sci-fi synth pop genre vibe was the uh, inspo. So the music was as close as I could get to my royalty-free nod to... Boingo, Boingo, and also in honor of my enduring love of all things 80s new wave. I still am a massive Tears for Fios fan. So anyway, <laughs> I haven't outgrown my love of 80s music. I did outgrow actually wearing those chintz floral pattern Laura Ashley dresses. Oh my gosh. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? I mean, for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, look them up. It's like sister wives chic. <laughs> I don't know. It was the height of fashion to wear a dress that also matched your bedspread and the balloon curtains in your room. I really don't know what that was about. But if you don't actually know what I'm talking about, you know, consider yourself lucky, but look it up. It's a thing. But uh, anyway, that's where the inspo came from. And the only way I might possibly ever reconsider changing my music is if someone can find me a royalty-free version of Tears for Fears Change. Then, then, maybe, but sorry, mom. <laughs> sorry, mom. I'm not changing my music. By the way, speaking of cover art and inspiration, I wanted to give a major shout out to the stunningly creative Sarah Ashman. She was my creative director for all of my photos and the cover art we did together, all of it in the studio. So if you if you go to my website and you'll see all the other images she did, she's such a genius. And so much fun to work with. We just—I <laughs> mean, all the props, all of the insanity of it all—and we just laughed so hard. But the idea was sort of—we had this nutty idea to channel Doc from Back to the Future. So you know, hence the lab coat and the flux capacitor-esque strainer on my on my head. Yeah, that's me. It is me with the strainer on my head, and those are my real glasses. But Sarah is just absolutely brilliant. And she just takes these wacky ideas that we are just like spitballing these ideas. And she just takes these ideas and turns them into something real. It is like magic. So I will link her website and social media links in the show notes, but run, don't walk to check out her other work. It is mind blowing. Before Barbie was back, you know, on a thing, She created a life-size box, and this person was the Barbie inside the box. If you can find that image, it's amazing. But anyhow, just prodigiously creative, Sarah Ashman. So Sarah, if you're listening, thank you. Seriously. Okay, so let's get to work in the change lab. So today's episode is part one of a series I'm calling Understanding Our Allergy to Change. I want all of us to be on the same page with regard to you know the sort of foundational theory of the science of change and i also want you to have this strong foundation so that you can build upon it in all these future episodes so this series i think hopefully will ground everything that we're doing from here here on out so i want you to understand why the current and pervasive model of change on offer that you know we all subscribe to more or less is not accurate nor helpful. And I also want you to understand what developmental science has discovered about transformational change and how it applies to you and how it will inform the work that you do to get unstuck. Okay, so today we're going to focus and pull apart the model of change that most of us are familiar with. In my field, we call it the resolution model of change, right? So we all know that despite all the new year, new you, enthusiasm, the fervor, the statistics on lasting resolution success is damning. It's not that great. Most of that resolve dissolves in a matter of months, if not weeks. And yet, even though the odds that we follow through on our new year's resolution is pretty slim, we still do it. I still do it. I I hear the siren call of this. And, and I, it's hard to resist. So, you know, I think we all have this tenacious inner pilot light of hope that just refuses to die, that believes in our ability to grow and improve. And I think this is a beautiful thing. I think this is what makes us, this is what makes us human. It's, it's the animating spirit in us. But, um, what the heck are we supposed to do, right? Because we all want to transform our lives. I think that's pretty universal desire. But when it comes to making change, we kind of suck at it. (laughs) So I recently asked my Instagram audience what promises they make and break. So, you know, what promises do they make to themselves and then proceed to blow them off? And here are some of the responses I got. The most frequent answers fell into these, these top categories. So to exercise and work out more, to eat better. There were many versions of that one. To go to bed earlier. And the fourth most common one was to work on or pursue goals or big dreams. Then I got some answers that were a little more specific, right? So what's the good intention that you make that you blow off? So here were some, some of the answers. To practice yoga, to cook after work. That is definitely one of mine It's like, this is the year I'm going to really learn how to be a better cook and not feed my children gruel. <laughs> and yet, alas, I'm still feeding them gruel to talk less, to think positively, to call my friends, to stop working on the weekend, to quit drinking diet soda, to study AI, to budget and track spending, to stop binge eating, to stretch. And the final one was to consistently wash my face at night. These are all very relatable. There's lots in there that I relate to. Okay, so, but here's the thing. I want you to think about some area of your life where you're making and breaking promises to yourself. And it could be one of the ones I just mentioned. By the way, one of my psychological heroes, Dr. Robert Keegan, and you guys will be learning a lot about him and his theory and his research. But in any case, he's the the Harvard researcher and adult developmental psychologist who revolutionized truly our understanding of how change works. He describes this sort of push and pull as feeling as if you have one foot pressing down on the gas wanting change and the other foot pressing down on the brake resisting that same change. So I want you to think about where in your life do you feel like this, right? With one foot on the gas and one foot on the brake, like you're you're revving your engine but you're going nowhere. Right? It's pretty exhausting. And I want you to answer this question. When you're feeling frustrated and defeated that you're still dealing with the same old issue that you were a year ago what do you think the real problem is right so you know why do you think you're pushing down on those brakes what's that about and i really want you to consider this so what came up for you was it was it a logistical problem like not enough time or your plates too full too tired not enough support and i mean fair enough but i want you to go one layer deeper right? Beyond the obstacles of your limited time and life demands and just the circumstances of our life. Do you have a persistent little voice that tells you that, you know, deep down you're just not trying hard enough or you just don't want it enough or you just don't have enough discipline? Well, if you're nodding your head, then you've internalized the resolution model of change. And I mean, any Nike ad kind of sums it up, right? Just do it. (laughs) Just do it. The resolution model has three phases that, if you're not careful, can cycle on repeat forever. Not fun. So phase one is motivation. Phase two is willpower. And phase three is shame. So I'm going to walk you through each phase step by step. And while I'm doing this, I want you to relate it to your own experience. Okay? So phase one of the resolution model is the motivation phase. This is the phase of change where we are told to get inspired and amped and, you know, stoked to change. The motivation to engage in some behavioral change, you know, it may be motivated by a dream that's pulling you, or you know, just general disgust with where you're at. i've I've experienced both. But the bottom line is, right? the more motivation, the better. you, you know, we really want to sort of press hard down on the lever of motivation. And sometimes we get so hopped up on motivation that it gets totally disconnected from reality and can soon become what I call hopetimism. Or um, one of my colleagues and friends, she told me that she'd heard someone call it hopium, (laughs) which is so genius. So, I mean, bravo to whoever came up with that one. That's a good one. But in my experience, this hopetimism is normally followed by a purchase of some new life-changing product because, you know, I'm looking for something to ground my hopeful optimism in something real. So, I mean, for me, it looks like this, like I'm in the aisle at Target, like this planner is amazing. This planner is going to change everything and, you know, make me organized and on time. And right. Like I'm holding this planner in my hand, like it is the Holy grail. Or I'm online shopping and I find a pair of shoes and I decide that the shoes are going to turn me into some, you know, assertive badass who doesn't avoid difficult conversations. So I hate this like <laughs> just unafraid. And or oh, this one is really close to home you know, I'll like hear someone talking about a Peloton or see an ad and then fantasize that if I get a Peloton, I'm going to want to work out first thing in the morning, that that is just going to be the automatic result of having this Peloton. (laughs) So, you know, add to cart immediately. Right. So in this motivation phase, my hope, our hope is grounded in desire, right? It's not grounded in a realistic appraisal of our past behavior, which is, good data, right? It is not grounded in a realistic appraisal of our current behavior, which is also good data. And it is not grounded in a thoughtful and structured plan for the future. You know, typically our motivation here is untethered to reality. So now that we have made a promise to ourselves while high on our, you know optimism, we enter phase two, the willpower phase of the resolution model because we don't have a plan, right, that addresses any of our real roadblocks, both our mental roadblocks and our logistical roadblocks, we are left to use the blunt force of our fairly unreliable willpower. The only plan that we actually have, honestly, is to just do it. That's it. It's very unsophisticated. We're like, oh, what's your plan? Oh, my plan is I'm just going to make myself do it. And we all know how this phase turns out, right? It starts strong, but when the enthusiastic desire for the benefit of the change is overpowered by the reality of what this change will cost us, you know, in real time, our resolve starts to fade and fade real fast. So I have a Peloton in my bathroom that doubles as a go rack. I got it a couple years ago, I ordered it online. Probably at night, while deeply in a optimistic fantasy about my soon to be executed, but obviously only executed once the peloton actually arrived, my new morning routine. Right, that I, <laughs> this is going to instigate my new morning routine. Clearly, some part of my mind was still plugged into reality because when I ordered this Peloton, I made sure to schedule it to be delivered right on a week when my husband was not home and was traveling for work. So, you know, he couldn't like kill the buzz of my (laughs) optimism. Oh my God, this is embarrassing on a lot of levels. So anyway, my husband, by the way, does not indulge in, you know, Hopium, optimism as much as I do. And I knew that if I asked him what he thought before I gave into this motivated fever dream, he would probably ask me some logical questions like, what reason other than the fact that you want to be the lady in the Peloton ad, do you have for believing that you will actually use the stationary bike? (laughs) By the way, the answer is none. Or... Do you think you're going to want to face what we both know will become your bike of shame every time you walk into the bathroom? No, I don't. I know that experientially. I don't. But I avoided on purpose all of these reasonable questions and didn't ask him. And uh, had it delivered when he was not home, so he couldn't give me some like, what are you doing? And he returned home to, ta-da, a new Peloton that was in our bathroom right next to it. It's like right over our tub. <laughs> and I mean, it like takes up all our room. And also a very excited wife who was just enthusiastically telling him how much this very cool, new, very pretty new Peloton was going to just transform me and my life and transform me into a morning exerciser, which P.S. did not happen. You know, I was like, oh, it's going to save time and I can do it at home and I'll just wake up in the morning and exercise and oh, even (laughs) better, I'll just log in with my friends in the morning and we'll bike together. That will motivate me. I've like done that once. So you guys know how the story ends, right? It's been I more or less like two years collecting dust. And I, I use my Peloton probably once every six weeks to justify the fact that I purchased it. I do use the Peloton app. So I, I don't have this sort of shame and guilt around paying for the app, but the hardware. Mm, it's, yeah. <laughs> oh, I do not use it so much. Anyway, like, thankfully, my my husband has been very sweet about it and finds my optimism mildly amusing. So, thank goodness for that. And this brings us to the inevitable final stage of the resolution model of change, and that is phase three, the shame phase. Right. So, this is when, like me, your just do it becomes just blew it. Typically, it's at this point that we're kicking ourselves for telling anyone about our hope to and we are. Drowning in her in our own waves of shame and guilt. Waves of shame. Ugh. So, this is it, right? This is the resolution model of change. It's pretty simple. I mean, it's ridiculously simple, right? It's, you know, you work yourself up into a motivated frenzy of like, this time I'm really serious. (laughs) This time this time it's going to be different. And then we use the only tool in our toolbox, which is our unreliable willpower, to just make it happen, to just do it, right? Day after day. And when that ultimately fails, and oh, it will, it will fail, we then slink into our corner of defeat, judgment, and shame because we're lazy. We have no self-control and we just don't have enough willpower, right? That's what we tell ourselves. That's the self-judgment and self-criticism that invariably follows this. It's there, right? By the way, I just looked up, just for fun, I just looked up the word willpower in my Apple dictionary app. God, I love that thing. Anyway, it it gives you the definition and then it gives you an example sentence. And the example sentence that it gave for willpower was this, and I quote, most of our bad habits are due to laziness or lack of willpower. That was the example sentence right? There you go. There it is in black and white. This is it. This is the resolution model of change. And when we strip it down to its essential logic, this model of change offers us only one explanation for why we blow off our good intentions. I mean, a lack of character. That's it. At the end of the day, it's a lack of character. Not being able to just do it is at its core, a moral weakness, right? It's it's the Cersei Lannister walk of shame for you. <laughs> shame, shame. I mean, oh God, it's my least favorite scene in Game of Thrones. Shame is so intense. But here's the most insidious part. Shame doesn't actually motivate us to ask curious or objective questions about what's truly getting in the way of our positive change or you know what hidden motivations we might have that are in... Competition or conflict with our motivation to make progress on our goals. Oh, no, no. Shame is an emotion that makes us want to crawl right under a giant invisibility duvet and hide from our challenges, hide from the world, and hide from reality. So we try to escape the pain of shame. And shame is, man, shame is so painful. It really is like so physically uncomfortable, right? But we try to avoid that pain by diving right back into the hope, optimistic buzz of setting a shiny new goal and making an untainted new vow to really commit this time. So we just do it all over again, right? So there you have it, right? It's an endless churn cycle that doesn't do much over time except erode our self-trust and damage our relationship with ourselves. And guess what? <laughs> this has nothing to do with the science of change. Nothing. So what we actually have learned from a generation of research in the field of adult development is that the problem is not our lack of motivation or willpower. If motivation were sufficient, then we wouldn't have studies or findings like this. In 2013, a study was published in JAMA, I'll link this in the show notes, that was a study of patients that had undergone a serious coronary heart disease or stroke event, right? And I mean, these guys are up against the Grim Reaper, (laughs) This is scary stuff. They're in the hospital. Their medical professionals or doctors are saying, hey, if you don't make these lifestyle changes to, you know, eat better and exercise more and quit smoking, you're gonna die. It's literally change or die for these guys. And in the five years following this coronary heart or stroke event, only five percent of these patients had adopted all three lifestyle changes, right? So quit smoking. Implemented a healthy diet and increased their weekly exercise. These three fairly simple and straightforward changes, only one in 20 had implemented all three of these things. If you have a doctor telling you, like, hey, if you don't do these things, you're gonna die, one would assume, right? And but this is what we tell ourselves, right? You know, I just haven't hit my rock bottom. If I hit my rock bottom, and it gets really bad then I'll do something about it but that's not what the research says it's actually not true so what the heck is actually going on right if motivation and willpower are not enough even when you're up against your own mortality then what's actually going on here right well okay i i'm going to give you a a high level and simplified primer on the brain because well i'm not a neuroscientist okay but here is the high level simplified version You have a neocortex, right? That's the outer layer of your brain. And it's the part of your brain that after reading a compelling article about cold therapy, like, you know, Wim Hof, you know, you're reading it and you're like, yes, oh my gosh, we're going to add a cold shower into that morning routine. Like, it's going to help my anxiety. We're going to feel so awesome and alive and also let's not get ourselves, we're going to secretly know that we're like better and tougher than the other people. So like, yeah, we're totally doing this, right? We've got this. The motto of the neocortex is, you know, live your best life now. This is the part of your brain that is in charge of higher order brain functioning. It's planning our best future. It's fairly rational and analytic and it's contemporary and still evolving. And then inside the neocortex, we have another part of our brain, our rascally subcortical brain, and in the center of your subcortex, there's an almond-shaped cluster of nuclei called the amygdala. Okay, so when you think of the amygdala, you should think of one word, fear. The amygdala is the part of your brain that really, really, really likes to keep things familiar and kind of just the way they are. It's the part of your brain that Flat out refuses to get into that cold shower, even after you gave yourself that very enthusiastic pep talk. The amygdala's motto is give me safety and comfort or give me death. It's ancient, it's inherited, it plays a central role in processing emotions, especially fear, anxiety, and aggression. It's often referred to as the emotional hub and is involved in emotional control and emotional learning. It's single minded, watchful, and caretaking, and it is vigilantly and automatically scanning your environment for danger, you know, lack and attack. So, how does this actually relate to the work of transforming our lives? Well, your subcortical brain is deeply protective, and the protective instincts of our amygdala, which is in our Subcortex are so robust and adaptive that psychologists and Harvard researchers Robert Keegan and Lisa Leahy call it our psychological immune system. So, just like we have a physiological immune system that fights off viral and bacterial invaders to keep our bodies safe and healthy, the mind has a psychological immune system that is unconsciously working to fight off perceived threats and protect us from existential dangers. So, you know. It's fighting off threats to our self-worth, threats to our identity, threats to our sense of certainty, threats to our autonomy and sense of control, and threats to our relationships and connections with others. The protective nature of our bodies and minds have served us very well as a species, okay? So, I mean, I think that Homo sapiens have done pretty well for themselves, despite not being the biggest or fastest animal on the savannah. But problems arise, and they only arise when our bodies and minds reject the change we most need, when our body or our mind is going to reject the life-giving vital change that we need. So think about someone who needs an organ transplant, right? What do doctors give that patient before they receive the new organ? They're given drugs to suppress their immune system, right, so that their body won't reject the new foreign organ. In the same way, your subcortical brain is unconsciously rejecting all your motivated attempts to change to protect you from something it feels is threatening. So consider this. What if your inability to change was instead related to the functioning of your amazing, sophisticated, although ancient, and sometimes misguided psychological immune system? Well, guess what? It is. So let's learn how to work with our freaked out psychological immune system and start changing. Next week, I'm going to dig into our psychological immune system and the five threats that actually keep us stuck. And in the meantime, here's a little lab work for you. Write down three times you've tried to use the resolution model to make a change and journal about how it actually worked out. Have a wonderful week and I will check in with you next Monday for more dirt on today's topic make sure to visit the episode show notes at drsashaheinz.com. or if you have any specific questions you can shoot me an email at hello at thechangelabpodcast.com or find me on Instagram at drsashahines if you're enjoying the Change Lab, there are three things you can do about it subscribe and leave me a review wherever you listen to podcasts share the show with a friend or five or head over to drsashaheinz.com to check out the ways you can work with me and dive deeper into this work and if you're feeling wild maybe do all three thanks for listening and i'll see you next monday